Hello, beautiful people. You are listening to the Communal Table Podcast, part of Food & Wine Pro. I'm your host, Kat Kinsman, Senior Editor at Food & Wine. Again, <laughs> I am recording from my home, so please forgive any background sounds, dishwashing, dogs barking, any of those kind of things. We're all, we're all living through it right now. Um, my guest today is uh, someone who, when she was announced as a nominee for the James Beard Award for Rising Star Pastry Chef. She was surprised uh, and was watching the results, uh, expecting to hear names of other people. Um, and when she heard her own uh, name called, she was really shocked and surprised. Nobody else who knows her was. She is known and beloved for her pastries at uh, Kith and Kin in D.C., but equally as much for the graceful, thoughtful, progressive leadership that she puts out into the world um, with her own team, with uh, talks that she has given with her donut pop-up project, um, the way that she has channeled her the art of her baking into a way to empower people and bring people together in community and support some people who could really use it right now. Welcome, Paola Velez. Paula, I am so thrilled that you are here, and I wanted to just start off by congratulating you on your nomination for Rising Star Pastry Chef. That is a huge and tremendous thing, and from everybody's accounts, like it's it's so incredibly de- deserved. <laughs> How are you feeling? Um, I think a lot of people want me to be like on the moon or like um kind of like in clouds or I don't know head over heels, but I'm just kind of like very indifferent to everything when it comes to that stuff because I'm always like huh what's happening (laughs) you know because I'm never looking for it so like we were actually my husband and I were actually like listening to the um the live um and all of a sudden we hear my name and I'm like huh what is happening because like I definitely thought I didn't get it, and I thought one of my friends here in D.C. did get it, and I was like, oh, we got to root and, like, do a video, and I, I was, like, ready. I had, like, a little jumpsuit on, and then I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what's happening? And my husband's, like, jumping up and down, and, like, you picked me up, and I was like, put me down, <laughs> you know? Oh it's surreal, right? Like, because yeah. the thing is that you're a person who you just get to it, you do the job, and you're in there, and, you know, all the best, like, chefs and cooks and everybody I know are just doing it because they're not doing it for accolades. They're doing it because that's what they do. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just like, I, a few years ago in the industry, I wouldn't even have this opportunity, you know, to even be an executive chef of anything, right? So, for me, it's like, I'm still trying to process the fact that I'm a, um, I'm an executive pastry chef. And then, yeah. and then everything's just like, I don't know, like, it's crazy. <laughs> I, I think it's crazy. I, I feel I feel like this is crazy, you know, because like, I, I'm still like, stuck on like, step one. <laughs> and like, everything around me is like moving at a million miles per hour. And I'm like, what is happening? So. But like, honestly, like all the best folks I know all have, you know, imposter syndrome, or, you know, whatever, yeah. you know, whatever it is that they want to uh, call it because again, you're so focused on your work and not on that external kind of thing. And it's really hard to process, but I'm going to brag on you for a second here because, you know, I, you know, I was, you know, doing my homework on you and I've, I've seen the places you, you've trained and worked and that you have spoken at Yale before. And yeah. you are a person who is respected and regarded, um, definitely for your pastry work, but also for your, your voice in the industry. And I think that that's, you know, a really right now more than ever, uh, an important thing to have right now. I mean, I'm honored that anybody wants to listen, you know, so. Well, you've got a lot to say though. And I've, I've really, especially appreciated, uh, your Twitter feed as of late because, uh, you know, we have, you know, obviously everybody is going through a time of tremendous change and confusion. And it very much remains to be seen what things are going to look like on the other side of this. And the thing that I keep coming back to is that people keep saying when it gets back to normal, I'm like, well, normal wasn't working out for a whole lot of people. 
And I, I have appreciated the fact that you have said, you know, that we we need voices in there. We need women. We need people of color um, in there. And that's a, been a really great way to, to use your platform. But I suspect like this is not at all new for you. You have said these things all along. Yeah, I kind of um, have been on a soapbox for a long time. You know, sometimes it gets me in, a tro- in trouble, but, <laughs> you know. So I have a button nose and cheekbones, so I'm easily forgiven sometimes. <laughs> but, but I, you know, I, I, I know, I noticed a long time ago that um, the more I spoke up, the more that things would change, right? In kitchens, um, and I only felt that freedom when I was working with Jacques Torres because he gave me a voice. He would ask me my opinion, mm-hmm. you know. So you can imagine, like somebody that's like. 23 <laughs> working with like, working with the chocolate giant you know what I mean like of New York City and, and you're just kind of like wait you you want to hear my opinion so I I had that confidence you know and of course you know when I when I'm working in the kitchen like there's always that that respect right so I'm never gonna be like <laughs> talking to a chef like in their face like you know what be quiet <laughs> no but if I see something, right, and I'm like, hey, you know, I, I really do think that when you overwork the staff, they're more susceptible to have problems with their mental health or they're in, they're in a situation that they'll relapse if they're sober, you know, then it was, I was able to like really like show people that might have not been paying attention to little details because I was, I was inside of the little details, mm-hmm. you know, and now that I'm in, in a position of management, you know, that's exactly the the space that I create for the cooks that are right underneath me, you know, like they're able to come to me as early as six in the morning. And (laughs) if they have something to say to me, they can say it to me face to face. And I take that constructive criticism and apply it to their um, work style, you know, and it's only through that, that once they start to see positive and healthy um, examples of, um, like work environments that they can then once they're in positions of leadership do the same and that trickle effect is going to be massive in the long run i'm so grateful to you for talking about this too because you know this is something that is very very near and dear to my heart that i have you know been banging the drum about for a long time because folks who work in restaurants aren't necessarily the people who are going to be most open about uh mental health and there's a reason they work in kitchens and we're hiding in the back because they don't want to deal with people but also because it's a place where they have they have found the community and non-judgment um, from from people, but still there isn't nece- there hasn't always been that willingness to be heard, and there isn't that built-in vocabulary for a lot of people who haven't ha- sort of had the privilege of being able to talk about this stuff openly. So the fact that you're modeling that behavior for the people who are working with you is is a real gift, and I, I want to talk about right now because people are, you know, people are laid off, they're furloughed, they're not sure what's going on all over the country. And the mental health crisis is, good God, it's so bad right now because people are isolated and away from those people who, um, you know, I saw you were, you were talking on Twitter about, you know, people calling you family in a restaurant, which I know is a common construct there, but people are away from those usual rhythms and those people. And it's really hard to be in isolation right now. What are you seeing happening with communication with people um, who are not in restaurants right now and who are, you know, maybe having a tough time? Well, I think um, half of that battle is when when you are a good chef, you you can know everybody's story front to back, right? You know the ins and outs. You know when to kind of be stern and when to be more, more relaxed, you know. And in knowing all of those little details of their lives, you know exactly, you know, how much like you should be reaching out to them now, you know. Um, and I and I talk to everybody, you know, like even folks that aren't directly in my like little um, pastry group, right? They, they reach out and they ask me even like just silly questions or we share memes and <laughs> we talk, you know? Um, and I encourage them to, to, if they have that like passion to do something on their own right now, I'm like, now's the time, you know? But it's knowing um, who is the, the one, like who's the, I don't want to say the, the, I'm trying to find the right word because they're all uh, very, I feel like they make you feel small, right? 
who's the people that need the most love, right? And I figured out that it's all of us, even myself, you know. Um, the other day, um, I was talking to the girls, and I don't even remember what they were talking about. You know, they like um, they like to like talk about my feet because uh, they look like Cabbage Patch uh, kids' dolls' feet, and and that in that like I remembered that like like laughter and jest and like just being around them, and I started crying because I missed them, you know. And but in that like throughout this this two month period uh, so far, you know, I feel like now that we're not so focused on, you know, making 500 of something, you know, to to serve for dinner service, um, we we found friendship, right? And if they never choose to work with us again, they have a friend in me now, you know? And I think that that's one of those things where I find um, the most beautiful because that phrase like oh we're family is often used to um make you feel this sense of commitment towards a restaurant where you know we're family and we're all in this together so can you work <laughs> a 60 hour shift you know and then you're like oh so we're not family i'm more like cinderella <laughs> you know like my stepmom you know but through this you know, but through this, you know, we, we really did find that family, you know, and we we say it to each other now all the time. We're like, we miss our family. And everybody's like, but you're home. You're with your family. And you're like, but it's a little different, you know, because you're around like-minded individuals who really want to see that the thing that they're working on succeed, you know? Yeah. And I want to touch on this for a second because you were saying about like having that moment of sadness for yourself. And I, you know, I had last week, I had, uh, I sort of hit a point where I'd been checking in with so many people, you know, whether they're, they're friends or colleagues or, you know, the, the sort of all the people I talked with uh, in Chefs with Issues and stuff. And I realized that I wasn't letting myself feel the things too. I was sort of just like shunting them off. And I had this moment where I just broke last week and realized I wasn't allowing myself to feel the feelings and realizing that I was allowed to do that too. And I'm really lucky enough that I have a great support system with, you know, my husband and friends and colleagues. And I just had to have that moment and they were like, oh yeah, finally. Okay, good. You're finally saying something. Um, are you a person who is usually able to, you know, express that kind of thing? Or is this something that you've had to sort of find during this difficult time? Like the care, the, the, the self-care part of it, is that, does that come easily to you? Um, for, for me, I'm, I've been very open as soon as I realized that I had issues, right? Because <laughs> everybody does. But as soon as I realized oh, yeah. that I had issues, you know, um, like my first conversations when I like hire staff or if I join a new team, I'm like, okay, so I suffer from depression and anxiety. Yes, and sometimes it's too. a little bit of a roller coaster, <laughs> you know, sometimes I'm going to be like on top of the world and I'm going to be like, almost manically laughing and like doing stuff and creating and then times I'm going to be like in a deep dark pit and don't take it personal you know don't take it this is not, not anything to do with you this isn't something that you have to take on and deal with you know and if I ever speak to you in a way that you don't feel comfortable with you tell me and I will snap out of it my favorite thing to to um like remind well they remind me now because um <laughs> I'll, I harp on stuff. Mm. I focus on one thing that's bad and I'll be like, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And they're like, okay. You know, so they acknowledge and they're like, we understand that this particular thing is wrong and this is how this will be fixed. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, and then I move about like, I'm like, wee, yay, you know? So it's like they, they come back and they're like, pee, hug time. You need a hug. You're stressed, you know, or they'll like, force me to take walks, you know, so they actually take care of me, like the staff takes care of me a lot more than I feel like I take care of them. But I feel like I also take care of them, too. So it's like a, a giving cycle, like they get I give so much to them that then they return that to me. And it's I don't know, it's been some one of the healthiest years that I've ever had in a kitchen, honestly. That you makes know. so, so happy to hear because you know, that, that kind of listening and positivity and just 
honesty is, uh, I think it's becoming more and more uh, prevalent in kitchens, but it's been such a long, long time coming. And, you know, and unfortunately, you know, born out of some places where it was a pretty bad situation for a long time. And so you're, you're at Kith and Kin and, um, you know, and I feel like I can say some of this stuff because like I, I've known Kwame for a long time and we've been, you know, pretty public in our conversations about mental health and stuff. And I've talked with him actually about coming and sitting in with you guys and, you know, seeing how you all operate because, you know, he's somebody who, again, I'm not outing a secret of his because we've talked about this on this very podcast where I'll text him and be like, have you breathed? And he'll be like, yeah, probably no, not for six hours or something. And I'm like, could you breathe with your team, please? And uh, and he's, he's trying to get better about that. But I mean, I, I'm so heartened by, you know, hearing this. And I, I honestly, I hear this from um, pastry chefs, you know, all the, especially all the, I actually, now that I think about it, if I really want to drill down um, uh, women of color pastry chefs, uh, like the, the the leadership and guidance uh, that I have you know encountered uh, for, from women in the position has has just been such an extraordinary thing, and I just you know I, I just the future that I want to see and the new normal I want to see is conversations like that and respect like that and humanity like that. And do you think there's something about pastry that draws people who are emotionally attuned? Is I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think. Um... So a lot of it in the beginning, right? Because I, I started doing this when I was 15. Oh, wow. And trust me, pastry wasn't as, like, loving and as um, open as it is today. The kitchen in general wasn't <laughs> back then, you know? Like, I was I was young, and I was like, uh, is this life? Like, what is this, you know? And yet you wanted um, to do it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, I was told by um, an older um, woman of color, actually, who told me, you know, you stick to one thing long enough and you'll become, you'll become pretty good at it, you know? So she's like, just stick to one thing and you'll be good. You don't have to be perfect, but you can be good, you know? And I took that to heart, you know, when I was younger. And I just kept trying, <laughs> you know, like in the industry. I, I started off as a line cook and I was terrible <laughs> I was terrible <laughs> you know but luckily for me they they stuck me in the in the pink dungeon you know we used to call it back then <laughs> and um and I was like oh my goodness I'm actually pretty good at this my hands are really small and cold and you know <laughs> and like chocolate okay. doesn't melt when I hold it um this is great I I I can do this you know and um it was years later before I, I really transitioned into pastry, but you know, you you kind of like it's like the kitchen is made out of outcasts, and in the pastry uh, kitchen, it. it's, it's made out of even the outcasts of the outcasts, you know. <laughs> and um, there, you know, it sounds you like the table I'd want to eat at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, but there you find people who who have been maybe shunned one too many times you know or were told you can't be th what you want to be which is an executive chef because you are a girl you know back then you, you would hear all these things you know only men can cook and you, you would listen to them and you're just like or you would hear you know you can, maybe you're good at this but nobody that looks like you will ever get to that point and I'm like uh, okay <laughs> you know <laughs> so so you 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 hear enough, um, let's call it what it is, abuse, and then yep. you, you start to say, when I am in this position, if I ever am, I'm never going to do that, you know? And that's exactly what I did. Like, the first thing that I did when I met DeAndra, I went to Kiffin Kin. DeAndra was working at Kiffin Kin. Um, she's my uh, pastry sous. Uh, she actually just got promoted right before um, COVID hit, which is like, my heart breaks <laughs> but uh, anyways I'm like frustrated I'm like ah! you know it's a um, very frustrating time <laughs> I know but um she she um had been working at Kiff and Kin you know um for since opening you know and they didn't have a pastry chef for a long time you know so it could be very weird to feel like there's somebody that's like coming in you know with whatever reputation you know and 
you kind of like I could have just barreled in and be like, this is my way or the highway, blah, blah, right. blah, you know. And I and I said to her and I was like, hey, can we sit down? You know, because the kitchen was like looking and seeing like, oh, are they going to, you know, beat right. it out? Is it going right. to be like the battle of, of the pastry chefs, you know? And I sat her down um, within like the first few moments of meeting her. And I was like, tell me how you feel. And she just started crying, you know? Yeah. And she's like, this is the first time I've ever had somebody ask me that, you know? Wow. And and I was like, so this is what we'll do, you know? Um, I can't ask you to stay with me for a whole year, but let's do three months and let's make a plan. What do you want to learn from me? And then what do you see in the long term, how I can help you in your career path? What can I do for you? You know, and, you know, we're both crying. We're like, oh, you know, <laughs> we realized then that we were like the same person, basically. And um, and three months passed, then six months and then a year. And, you know, um, we talk like she's seen me in the office just crying out of frustration, you know, and like she'll like run to like the smoothie store and buy me a smoothie. And she'll be like, you need to hydrate. You need to do this. You need to. You're great. And like, she'll like build me back up when I'm down in the same way, you know, and I've seen DeAndra grow in such a a magnificent way where I I see her and I'm like, oh my God, you know, you're going to be the best pastry chef I've ever known, you know, and that's beautiful. That is such a lovely thing. And I really feel like if you're going to be really, truly great at this job, it has to transcend what is on the plate and you have to build this legacy of people who trust you and, you know, and go out and open their own things and, you know, and, and, and it spreads in a really gorgeous way. And, you know, it's just so much more than what ends up on the plate. And I think, you know, that kind of love and empathy and understanding and tutelage, it it's, you know, it goes such a long way to make somebody believe in themselves and understand like the greatness that is already in there is something that takes you know your own humility to do but then is you know is such a, a beautiful gift and you know I'm just like imagining that all the places that are going to open like out of your kitchen that you're running there and I think that'd be so great for the world and I want to um uh tap into um, where you came from too. And so where you were before Kith and Kin and sort of how you became, you know, the 15 year old who was working in, um, in pastry. So let's, let's talk about that. When you were a little kid, is this something that you cared about? Um, were you a baker? Were you like learning at somebody's knee or was it just sort of something that, that occurred to you, you know, at, at some point, how did this all happen for you? Well, for me, um, my family, um, they used to own restaurants in New York City. Um, oh, Marianne's uh, Mexican. Oh, wow. There is, it was called, um, yeah, yeah, Marianne's Mexican. There was one um, oh, yes. in 96. Yeah, I, I've been yeah. since 1996, so I've spent my time yeah. in Marianne's. <laughs> yeah, you know, famous for their margaritas. Yeah. Um, but I, they used to have a bunch of restaurants, so my mom used to, um, like, she was like their accountant by day and then because she always like wanted to help in case that somebody was sick or somebody needed help or family emergency because literally it was like a family-owned business and everybody that worked there they saw me um from when I was a child you know um and she would bring me to work with her because she just wanted to make sure that I was like safe and she could see me so they um and their 96 location 96 in Broadway they used to reserve a booth just for me so that I could do all my homework and that booth would um look right into the kitchen you know and it you know <laughs> they would have you know their um salsa playing and and everybody was like moving fast and there's flames and everybody was just like so cool and I was like wow mom I want to become a cook you know because you know when you when you see into the kitchen back then in the 90s you you didn't see you know chefs of color so you would just be like wow I want to become a cook because that's like so cool and my mom was like oh my god (laughs) God. (laughs) she's like no (laughs) you know but 
but I, I, I was like so adamant about it. Like, and I had like a bit of an arts background, you know, um, and every, everything kind of like pointed back to that. I, I would, I would do cakes at home. I would do, you know, food for my family. I would make like little, um, like I would try at least <laughs> to make food. And my parents would be like, mm, delicious. <laughs> poor, poor guys. <laughs> um, but, you know, I went to high school and I had um, done well and I could have graduated a year early, but back then I didn't know that I was suffering through anxiety, you know? Oh, and oh, um, to have been diagnosed at an early age, that would have helped me so much. Yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't know, you know, but instead of feeling like accomplished and feeling great about having um, all my credits or to like uh, graduate early, I stayed a year behind and I said, oh, I want to graduate with my friends. And my parents were like, whatever, <laughs> you know, like, you'll be fine. You know, like if you stay one more year, that's great. It'll look great, like good on college applications. And I took a bunch of art electives and um, I got to graduation and I was like, uh, my parents are like, wait a minute, you don't want to go to school? And I'm like, Maybe not. I don't want to. <laughs> um, and then I was like, oh, I can cook, you know. I was like, I can cook. I can still cook, yeah. I, I do this at work right now. I could just go to school for it, you know. And my parents were very hesitant at first. And then my mom and my dad sat me down and they're like, we've never um, limited you in your life. You know, we've never told you what to do or how to do it. You know, we gave you all the resources. We, if we would put the books and the Play-Doh and art and whatever it was that you were ready to do, we would make sure that you had the resources available to you. So if you want to be in a career in culinary, we support you too, you know? So that's how I went to culinary school. And that's, that's so lo- And you, am I correct in thinking you went to Cordon Bleu? Yeah, I did. <laughs> Okay. So talk about that process. Was it, did it align with what you had grown up with in restaurants? Was it a different kind of thing, a different perspective? Cause you know, you'd, you'd been working all this time. And so I'm sure you went in there knowing a whole lot of things. Was this a different set of skills? How did, you know, how, how was the whole process for you? Uh, daunting. <laughs> Cause um, <laughs> it was so much information and so much like of a structural change, right? Cause it was, um, the brigade system right and it was that that yes chef and you know you keep your head down and i'm like a creative with anxiety and i was like what is happening (laughs) you know (laughs) so um i i was like super stressed and i i was like maybe i made a mistake but i couldn't tell my parents that because they were so supportive (laughs) so i was like oh my god (laughs) i was like oh my god what am i gonna do you know so um So my my uh, school offered like a two year program, but I did it in nine months, which is kind of crazy. But also, thank you, That's anxiety. anxiety <laughs> thank you, anxiety. Yeah, yeah, I, believe me, I I know how that went goes. Because <laughs> you have to think this is a very personal question, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. But uh, you know, I have you know I've I've written about anxiety a lot, so I've had to like really delve into my own. And I have a thing I sort of refer to as the internal accountant. And uh, if I, I, I sort of can't go to sleep unless I feel like I've done enough things to earn my keep that day mm-hmm. and been productive enough and done stuff for other people or else I just can't like, and it's, I've managed to like talk it down some with a lot of help of meditation, but that's just how my brain works. Like, have you done this and this and this? Okay, now you deserve rest. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's at least the, the, earlier uh renditions of me right like i just i had to like that's why i had so many credits in high school (laughs) you know that's why i could graduate early but i didn't you know it was like a hurry up and wait situation yeah um but i kind of was like again that that advice from that older lady um she she told me that you know right when i was in culinary school and i was like oh okay, maybe I could just stick with it, even if I have, like, flight syndrome, you know? Um, yeah. Because that's what it really was. I wanted to quit, you know? Like, I would right. I would just sit there, and I'm like, maybe I should just quit this and just go to community college, you know? Um, yeah. But I'm grateful that I didn't, <laughs> you know? Well, I think the world is. 
but um yeah i mean it was one of those things where the cardam blue was great and it was right when it was like the weird mixture when celebrity chefs were actually becoming a thing and then the economy Mm -hmm. um was collapsing right so it was 2008 and i was like confused because you all you want to do is be like that that TV chef, you know, you're like, wow, millions of dollars, you know, as a kid, you see that and you're like, money. Meanwhile, you, you, you realize that everything is like relative and like none of that is real because you're like, wait a minute, I just spent a hundred dollars on what, you know, but, but, but like, then you saw like the economy was collapsing and so many jobs were closing, you know, and it was like, I, I wanted to do pastry um, in school, but then I, I was like, maybe I should do um, culinary uh, because then I could always have a job, you know? And that was like my yeah, record just... on blue. Like, then the teachers loved me because I was always there because nine months intense, uh, like from 7 a.m. to like midnight, I was just at school, you know? Mm-hmm. Poor guys. <laughs> You must have been a dream student because you come in already with like restaurant protocol and you're, you, you know, you're absolutely devoted to it. And uh, I, I hope they sent you a note the other day when the announcement came out, like she's one of ours. I don't know. Like, I, I mean, it, they always reach out and I'm always like, hi, how are you guys? You know, but you know, it's probably asking for money. No, <laughs> actually they've never, they've never actually asked, which is crazy. Really? Yeah. Wow. That is amazing. <laughs> now they're going to want you to come and speak even more. But like you, but um, yeah, I was I was delighted that you had uh, spoken at Yale because I think they're so incredibly thoughtful yeah. um, in their food programming there. Um, can you talk about what you talked about there? Yeah, so I, I talked about sustainability and equity um, within um, the Latino and the um, Black community. You know. Um, and I, I tried to expand it even as far as all people of color, women, LGBTQ, everyone, you know, because I was like, this isn't a, a us one group, you know. Um, I explained to the students that when we band together, united, one voice, we become so much more powerful than if we're all fighting for our individual causes, you know. Um, one thing that I, I really told them, I was like, you guys are the future, you know, like me, I will at one point stop creating, you know, I'll become tired and my back will hurt and I will retire. But what they will do for us and how they will implement change via policy and how they will be able to guide the inner workings of what makes our lives tick. I was like, that's you guys are hold the power, you know, you guys hold my voice. You know, right now you're listening to my voice, but I'm entrusting it back to you, you know, and um, they were all so surprised because most of the time people come up to them and they're like, blah, 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 jargon, 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 you know, right. and and I was like, no, man, you guys are so powerful. Like if somebody would have just talked to me straight up when I was younger, instead of telling me all the no's, tell, telling me all the yes, you know, imagine what I could do now, you know. I mean, I. It was. It was just. Sorry to. I don't mean to talk over you. I was. It just. It just struck something in me because it. It dovetails so much with. We're uh, announcing our new class of best new chefs um, this coming up week, and I'm. I'm so excited about it. And, you know, what a strange time for uh, folks to be. You know, getting this this accolade while while you know, the world is asunder and we're trying to give them mentorship and arm them with as much stuff as we possibly can. And usually by now, you know, we would have had them all meet at a party and spent, you know, a few days with them all together and stuff. Um, but instead we've been having to do everything virtually. Uh, but we're talking about navigating through this change and I'm trying to remember who it was who said this, but one of them says, like I said, I don't want to be just part of the change. I want to be the change. And I was staring at this um, screen full of just beautiful faces from all over the country and thinking, this is the future. This is who is going to, in this moment, rise up and determine what this this future is. And it, it seems to dovetail with what you were saying. And I want to um, get into how we can use this particular moment 
to uh, to create this new future and to amplify the voices that have not always been given the power and to make sure that they get the like financial equity to be able to you know rebuild or build places um, moving forward because that's kind of my biggest fear is that it's just going to be the usual suspects again and again and again and we can't have right. that happen right I mean it's giving them the the tools to be able to um, move forward in life right like even just something as simple as giving them the opportunity to come on like this podcast you know is is huge you know to where maybe five years ago, none of us would have been able to be in the spheres and the spaces that we are in now, right? And um, just being able to um, give them like the strength, right? It's it's so hard to be a person of color in any industry, right? Because you could even be a doctor and still have somebody undermine you and you're, you know, working for 10 plus years and somebody's like I don't think you're doing this right and you're like what <laughs> what? what you know so what gives you the right to say that to me <laughs> right you know um and then I mean it's it's a it this one's the one that's the tough one right it's like once you have the platform start to call out people that aren't doing right you know if they're continuing to treat and use the beautiful black and brown bodies that create so much culture then say something be like hey you know why are you doing that why are you treating them that way you know and either a very healthy conversation is going to happen or people's mask will be revealed you know and it's those difficult and weird conversations that I personally never like them, but I feel like sometimes I'm always in the sphere to be a part of them. <laughs> so I'm always like, oh no, this is going to happen today, isn't it? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but then, and also um, allowing, like, get from a young age, you know, building the resources within our inner city uh, kids and giving them all the tools necessary. Like, from the Bronx going to Orlando, I was um, given more opportunities in my education mm -hmm. you know but if i would have stayed in the bronx my my resources would have been so limited that i might have never known that a career in culinary and the, the facet that i'm uh, practicing it would have never been possible you know so it's one of those things where if you if you enrich people with knowledge you embolden and and give them strength um and then you support them, you know, you just, it, it's, it's like a powerful combination of those three things. Like you just give them strength, you support them, and you give them knowledge. People catapult out of, you know what I mean? Like I, I've seen it many times where if you just plant the seed, give it water, a plant, a beautiful plant will grow and flourish, you know? That is, uh, good God, I want you to... Like the motivational, you are a motivational speaker. <laughs> like I, I, I just, I'm getting, you know, just chills with everything you're saying because it's, you know, I, I think in this intensely painful and unjust moment where black and brown bodies are are being sacrificed, uh, in, you know, in in this pandemic, in a, in a truly. Uh, horrifying um kind of way you know I, I i think it's incumbent upon the people with with power to you know to speak up and, and do things and um i'm wondering if there are any particular organizations that you have found like especially in the bronx or in other sort of areas with with communities that could really use it if there are any particular organizations culinary or otherwise that you think are doing a really good job and people listening to this can support um, I would suggest going to uh, Black Food uh, Folk. You're so great. Black FMB. <laughs> yeah. Black FMB, mm -hmm. you know, um, going to um, just local organizations, like any public school. If you have um, a particular skill set, um, if you have something that you know you are good at, go to the schools and volunteer your time just to talk to the, the kids, you know, open their horizons, you know, 
it doesn't matter it what what skin tone what creed what color it doesn't matter you know just go and and give back to the community in that way you know support all of your local chefs and outside you know um i know because this is food related but even more so than that you know um support anybody that is a small business outside of your community as well um and then i know that here in dc there's organizations like ayuda dc um there's um coalitions right now that are popping up everywhere like if you're not a part of the restaurant industry and you love to eat then you need to support either way you know yeah because we all eat you know but um there's there's a lot of organizations that there's too many to name honestly um i think that it's it's what you can do just quick google search and then like um find like i didn't know about ayuda dc and i lived in dc you know and i reached out to um my friend who runs the food program at uh dc uh bilingual which is a dc uh public charter school for uh immigrant children and she then connected me to um an activist who works with undocumented workers and suggested a U to DC, you know, and through that, I was able to like go through the channels. Cause I, I mean, I, sometimes you're so busy um, doing your own thing that you don't think about things until a tragedy strikes, yeah. you know? So it, I can't name a bunch of uh, <laughs> like organizations, but uh, yeah, I, I guess I do. <laughs> but <laughs> but I mean, like, to to impact in your local community, in your local cities, you know, there's so many people that are alone working at this. And they're like, um, in Spanish, you call it guayando la yuca, which means um, grinding the, the yeah. cassava, you know, um, and they're working, you know, they're just not visible. So reach out and there's always a friend of a friend of a friend who knows right. a friend that needs help. You know, it's, I, I feel like you know, this has gotten people more in touch with their local communities than ever before. At least, you know, I know in, in Brooklyn, you know, you know, we've all gotten to know our neighbors maybe better than we uh, ever have before. And I was, I was just uh, communicating with a, a dear friend who is, um, volunteering at a, a food bank and she saw people she recognized from her own building in there. And, you know, it, and I, I think all of this has sort of laid bare the shaky foundation that so much of our food system is, is based on. And, it, and it is, it is God awful. There are no silver linings uh, to it whatsoever. And, uh, but I, I have seen, you know, people take the opportunity to be kind and thoughtful and reach out of their own bubble in a way that is um, heartening to me. And, and, and uh, in the restaurant community, especially, I feel like I've always had a lot of faith in the restaurant community, uh, you know, especially through the mental health work that I have done. And I keep saying the, re- the industry is going to save itself in a lot of ways because y'all are people who, who act and do and feed and you're there taking care of absolutely everybody else, maybe not yourself so well, but <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I, I have to have faith um, in this and, you know, and try to be a watchdog <laughs> for the people who aren't doing it so well. Um, but I, I wanted to also uh, touch on, you have a donut project that you I I was uh, stalking your Instagram and uh, I am so I am so dazzled by this. Um, is is it Dona Donia or do I have the backwards? Yeah, it's uh, Dona Dona. Okay, I have uh, Can you tell people what that is? So um, the word Dona is like a Spanglish translation for donuts, right? And um, yeah. I wanted to, it to be like a play on word. We like words. We in the Latino community, we love our tongue twisters. <laughs> so, um, and also like I got married at a really young age. So my family, they love this running joke where I'm like la doña or la señora, because that means like, um, there's this level of respect that it like you, um, once you get married, that's like, um, 
what you're referred to as. You're you're not a miss anymore. You're a missus, you know. Right. And they, they do it in jest because I still look like a baby. So mm-hmm. they're like, oh, la doña, you know. And I'm like, okay, guys, this is very funny. Wrap it up. Let's go, <laughs> you know. So I I wanted to give that homage to them and say doña dona because I'm like, la senora of donuts or like the 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 missus of donuts you know and like i um in in this time frame i i kind of like was a little bit hesitant to go out i don't want to like put anybody at risk right i could have popped up at a different like in different restaurants and helped my friends but also i have to be mindful right like this isn't business as usual we have to make sure that we distance ourselves and we we take care of those that we love the most by not being next to them which is so crazy you know um yeah it and i so how are the donuts happening so i'm actually going to work with daniela senor um at um, la cosecha here in dc and um everybody who knows daniela knows the powerhouse that she can be she reached out and she was like, how are you? And I'm like, ah, you know, and she's like, okay, understood. I, I get that. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then she was like, are you okay? Are you working? And I'm like, well, currently no, um, but I have unemployment, so I'm good. You know, I'm okay. Um, that's, you know, that in itself is like a blessing because it's so hard to get it. Um, yeah. And I kind of like, we've always spoken about working together on a a project because we're both Dominican, you know, and we're both in DC and there's not a lot of Dominicans in DC. (laughs) You know, I can, I can count everybody with on my, on my hands, you know, and I know everybody because we are, we found each other. We were like, are you Dominican? Yes. You know? (laughs) So, so we, um, I was like, Oh, why don't we, why don't we do something? You know, we can partner and like work with, um, Ayuda, DC. I'm sorry, my my uh, chair was squeaking. <laughs> well, we'll do the best we can right now. <laughs> but you probably heard my dog barking earlier and my husband walking the room. So, <laughs> but um, so she reached out and she's like, "Would you be interested in coming in to work?" You know, she was trying to do it so that I can like um make some type of revenue for myself. And I was like, "Oh, I I know the perfect." thing we can do this right but it doesn't have to be uh for me to make money because that's not important anymore because you know we're lucky that we're not in like mad max or what is it called yeah i think it's like <laughs> mad max <Yeah. laughs> you know but so i've been thinking I, about that a lot recently honestly. yeah like i'm uh, very lucky that we're just not like ah, and everybody's like on the streets like ah luckily it's like because of the virus so everybody's like oh i'm not worth it <laughs> you know but <laughs> but you know i was like Daniela, we can do this but we can like donate a portion of the proceeds uh to ayuda dc and she's like oh i know ayuda i just did a um, collaboration where she's doing something um with like offering these like uh, packages to buy for the future you know and those oh, yeah. were, and that's going to ayuda dc so then I was like, oh, perfect. You know, I do this. This supports some of your staff who might not be able to access uh, unemployment. And then anything that I have that is like leftover, I can give to the staff that I know needs it, you know. And then we we move from there. I don't need to take anything. I, I'm grateful to just make, you know. I'm, I'm grateful to be healthy enough to make anything, you know. Yeah. And we, in like two days, we like... I drafted up um, the little uh, caricature for the uh, pop-up, which is uh, Muñeca Sin Rostro, which is uh, our, the Dominican, um, it's like the artisan doll of the Dominican Republic. Uh, but it looks like me, so it's kind of vain, actually, the more I think really about it. <laughs> no, I looked at it, and it's it's adorable. <laughs> so it's like a nod to that that culture and that heritage between us, you know. and then we we give these like um, flavors, something like a taste of home for uh, the Latino community while supporting a, a com- uh, an organization that like supports our undocumented workers who really make our restaurant industry tick. They are the, the backbone of every single restaurant, whether you like to admit it or not, you know, and this then is ever- for, 
conversation I've been having is, and it is, it is so deeply unjust that people can't get unemployment benefits and are are just uh, so vulnerable and not getting the help that they deserve. And and the industry, like the, not just this industry, but so many across the U.S., are entirely dependent on on their labor. And it's it, it's uh, yeah, this is every conversation I'm having right now because it's. Right. Uh, and and it's something that I'm wondering how how gets addressed and rectified moving forward, you know, in restaurants. Like, it's it's one of those complicated, unlike, unspoken secrets, right? Um, they are, their work like the workforce, the undocumented workforce is so committed, and so talented, and so hardworking, you know, for. Like, I sometimes just want to, like, strip and, like, rub, like, ash on my forehead and be like, ah, you know, because <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, because I'm a first generation American, right? So a lot of those, that, that like, stigma disappears once they're like, oh, you're a citizen? No worries, you know, mm-hmm. but it shouldn't be that way. We should be able to regard all human life as equal, you know, and until we get to that point in time, you know, we're only kidding ourselves. You know, if we're not speaking up against that injustice, then we're only prolonging it and making them surf them suffer. You know, and then in turn making ourselves suffer. You know, so what? What do you think is the role of uh, consumers in all of this? In in moving forward, in not being. Uh, ignorant or willfully ignorant of the human beings who actually make their food and you know some rely on tips some rely on 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 wages um do you think that there needs to be better communication with the actual consumers and diners and uh that they might have to pay more that they might have what what is their role in it um i think in general as um as we kind of plan the future from this hard reset, um, I I think that the consumer is going to have to pay quite a lot more, you know, um, than they're used to. There's a lot of um, kind of comfort and like uh, accessibility that the industry has always offered folks um, at at their own demise, right? Like the industry would always fail to make sure that the customer was always happy. But I think that if we change how we operate um, in the grand scheme of things, right? Like if we were to um, abolish the, the, the tip, tipping system and we were charge at the end of the meal uh, like a, a service charge or a hospitality charge, you know, and then we divided that equally between the staff. Imagine offering health care to every single employee in the restaurant. Imagine, you know, somebody that does work 50 plus hours a week, they're getting the the right amount of money and they don't feel like it's so taxing because they are getting um, the reward. Or imagine having that extra income inside of your restaurant where you can have so many bodies that somebody could get sick Yeah, and you wouldn't have to run around like a chicken with its head cut off, yeah. you know? Yeah. So there's... A lot now, a lot of people now saw how convenient it was for them, you know, off of our backs. Right. But I think now it's the responsibility of that convenience. Are you willing to pay more for that convenience? Yeah. Yeah. Or or will you learn how to cook at home, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think that this is, you know, a, a, a time when, I mean, these questions are, are really well overdue, but I, I think, you know, maybe we're finally at a moment where people are willing to see the value of like, of what labor looks like and what that actual humanity is. And, you know, and I appreciate you speaking out on that. And, um, a question that I have been, uh, asking a lot of people recently, uh, can you tell me about your best porter or dishwasher you've ever worked with? Ever worked with? 
or you know or just some, somebody you really really want to shout out because we you know we were talking about again about that invisible labor and I'm actually working on a piece right now that is you know I asked people for a long time what is the toughest job in a restaurant and almost everybody mm-hmm. said well there's host stand which is very very hard but also like porter or dishwasher and yeah. you know and again I want people to know about uh, the the workers these super valuable workers uh, who are maybe left behind in, in some of these conversations. If there's somebody you want to shout out or th- think was really great, I'd love to hear about them. So um, I think I guess I'll go through the list. When I was at Jacques Tours, there was Chris. Chris was a porter who then one day had the courage. He asked me, he was like, um, hey, I want to learn how to make chocolate. <laughs> and I was like, then ask Jacques, you know, mm-hmm. and he became a chocolatier and he's still working with them. Um, so that transition was beautiful. Um, and he's still like... Till this day, like he'll go into the dish room and still clean everything up beautifully. And, you know, um, Maria, she was a prep cook at, um, Iron Gate. Um, she and Elda, um, they all, um, just worked in the snow in the, in the hot summer months. They would, um, make gnocchi by hand by the pounds, like 50 pound batches, you know, um, imagine that, that toll on your back, you know, um, then you have, um, here at Kith and Kin, um, his name is Soup. We call him Soup, (laughs) but (laughs) he's so humble. It doesn't matter what you ask him to clean, whether it's the tilt skillet or if he sees you, um, slip on a little bit of oil and all a bunch of flour goes all over the place he already he's like running with a, a broom and a mop in hand without you even asking him you know just one of those things um and then we have another um because we're a hotel uh, maria from upstairs she does in-room dining um and uh, she does um like room service cleaning up after uh, our guests and she always has a smile on her face. I remember one day I um, uh, burst a blood vessel in my left eye. Oh, God. And she, I didn't know I, I burst it, but she saw it and she started crying. And she said, you cannot do this to yourself because I love you. And I love to see you every day. And for you, you need to take care of yourself because you can't let any amount of stress, you can't any let any type of inconvenience pressure you so much and destabilize you that you're bursting a blood vessel. She's like, that could have been something that went straight to your heart, and then I would have lost you forever, you know? And we cried together because I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just stressed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so all of them throughout my career, they, they've all... Um, I've I've had one one thing that they've all told me is that when I look at them I see the human in them. Yeah. I don't see them as service staff. I see them as people. And through that they're always able to um connect with me and I ask them about their family and I remember like I said all the smallest littlest details we could not see each other for 2 months <laughs> and I would know everything because I care and they care in return that cycle like I said is always repeating that's so lovely and what you said before actually leads into my final question what are you doing to take care of yourself currently yep (laughs) I am Currently, I, at first, when I, when everything first began, I was bitter and angry and I was like raging against the machine and I was not happy. I was a very unhappy camper and um, I also don't have like a dog, so I kind of <laughs> don't have a like cute little release, right. but it's okay. <laughs> but I like maybe um, halfway, maybe three weeks later, I don't know why I kind of like decided to start baking again because I really wasn't like interested in baking. I was like, "You're dead to me. <laughs> I I hate you baking." <laughs> you know, I love you. And, <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, baking. <laughs> uh, and and um, 
I don't know what, what what like the girls told me, but the girls were like, "You need to start baking again. You're not happy when you don't bake." Like they always said that when I traveled a lot, they didn't think that I was the happiest yeah. because I I found more joy in like doing a recipe and watching like a cake be perfect, you know. Um and like I would like almost be immersed like I would lose hours you know like I would just forget where I was and I would come back and I'd be like guys look at this new recipe and everybody would be like huzzah yeah you know and like it would be like this uh like event in the kitchen (laughs) you should have seen when we made plantain buns everybody was like live tweeting about it and they were like it's dropping in six days oh you know (laughs) they were so excited you know, but um, the girls told me you need to uh, get back to it. And I was like, I don't want to think about baking. I don't want to touch flour and sugar. And they're like, stop being, you know, <sighs> yourself and do this, you know. And I started a starter. And I think um, in having to kind of create life and sustain life, I found my cycle again. I found the love of of why I love um, food, yeah. right? Because all all of our food either is alive or has been alive at one point in time, and their origin stories, you know, you can find the the like the beginning of every single uh, flower or every single um, ornamental like decorations that you use or every chocolate. You know, that's one thing that I really love about. Um, Valrona is that they let me ask all these silly questions like (laughs) their reps let me ask all the silly questions and I'm like how are you doing this equitably and how are you you know how are are you paying your farmers correctly I need to know all the details you know and they're like okay let's sit down we can meet you if you want to and I'm like yes please thank you you know (laughs) they're really good about that actually well they're learning from you when you're doing it so that's you know another example of you you know uh, not giving yourself enough credit for what you're putting out into the world, which is a beautiful thing. And, uh, you know, a- making people think about things and making people appreciate things more. And, and you know, I see why. Yeah, we hadn't been recording yet when I when I said this to her. But anytime I, I had mentioned anybody in our team that we were going to be talking, everybody's like, I love her. And now I see why very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much to Paula today. I, if, are you hungry for no, donuts? I'm hungry for donuts. I am just in awe of this woman. And I think if you've listened this far, you understand why. Please find her on social media, small, at Small Orchids uh, on, on Twitter and on Instagram. Seek out her pop-up and uh, follow her as she... Um, you know, attempts, as everybody attempts to figure out what the next step forward is with somebody like her in charge of, uh, you know, movement forward. I, I just, I have hope. She gives me hope. And, you know, I, I, I think that we can all do with more of that compassionate leadership, um, both at work, at home, in the community. And, it's, it's just such an important thing, that empathy that she expressed, that stopping and, and listening to people and honoring their their struggle um, and, and just being there to listen to them and seeing and, and see them as the humans they are. It's just, it's so important. And we can build that into every interaction that we have at work, at home, in public, um, this is such a difficult and painful time for everyone. And the more that we can see one another as humans and have those kind of connections and, you know, someday get to sit all down together and, and eat again. I, I think I'm really hoping for a better and more beautiful tomorrow. And uh, she's definitely going to be part of that. And uh, this podcast, Communal Table, is part of Food and Wine Pro, which is, uh, it's in the print magazine, it's on the website, foodandwine.com slash fwpro, and it is all stories and conversations that are about the people who work in the industry and the structures that exist within, and 
you know, the, the nuts and bolts of uh, this industry that we all love so much. And it's, you know, it's, it's for pros by pros, and we're really proud to bring it to you. Um, the best way to figure out what is going on at any given time on Food & Wine Pro is to subscribe to the newsletter. There is a link for sign up there on the site. It is written by our editor-in-chief, Hunter Lewis, uh, assisted by the amazing Osette Babur. And um, we, you know, we come through the news. You you know, you, you don't have time to look through absolutely everything that's out there. So we pick the best and most important stories that are affecting the um, the food world this week and um, compile them for you in a, in a neat little bow. And you can always find the link to the latest podcast. So please sign up for that. If you're just hearing this episode and you're not a subscriber, think about hitting that subscribe button on whatever platform that you get your podcasts. And, you know, it's tough out there for podcasts right now. People aren't commuting and they're not listening in their car or on the train. And uh, the, you know, it's, it's, we all have our things. Um, But if you felt compelled to leave stars, reviews, any of that. It helps more people find us and listen and lets us keep having these conversations with um, brilliant people who are leading the charge for change in this industry. So please, if you don't mind, you know, even pass it on to a friend and encourage them to subscribe. I would be so incredibly grateful. And this podcast would not happen without the um, the technical skills and the guidance and the everything brought to us by Jen Martonic, Hallie Tarpley, with some amazing artwork by Sarah Crowder, our photo director at Food & Wine, and I am so grateful for all of them. We're all doing our darndest um, during this unprecedented time, and I'm really appreciative for everything they do. They take care of me. And you know what? That's that's a really important thing to do. It's easy to to forget uh, as we're going through the struggle of every day to take care of other people and to take care of ourselves. That is a really um, is is more crucial than ever right now. Put your own mask on before helping others. So please, if you're listening to this, come back and listen to listen to this podcast again. I'd love to spend some time with you and take good care of yourself. Until the next time.